Welcome to The Sideman Designer, a podcast for creative minds, companies of one, and the people both behind the scenes and front of house making great work happen. Uh, welcome everyone, episode 13. Um, it's been a good week so far. I'm actually trying something very new today. I am broadcasting this live on Instagram as I'm doing it. I've never tried doing that before, but I thought, you know, I've got an extra phone, plug in the thing and, and let's give it a go, try it out. Um, having a quick chat with a, an old friend of mine as I'm going, which is really nice. Um, so yeah, episode 13, I've got something really, really exciting coming up today. I've got my very first guest interview today with uh, a good friend of mine, Jonathan Ralph, who is a solutions architect at Comify in Nottingham. Um, we used to do a podcast together. We used to do book club pod where we uh, talked books of all genres, um, once a month it was really really exciting and it was great to have a sit down with him to uh, the other day not today the other day and uh, we went pretty deep on creativity and doing great work and almost pushing the boundaries of giving yourself the time to be creative at work so that'll be coming up shortly really hope you enjoy that interview um, this week I have been deep into Offscreen Magazine, issue number 21. It's been a great read so far. Um, there's been so many kind of good pieces of commentary recently about technology and what we're doing with it and what it's doing for us. And the team at Offscreen, uh, Kai and his reporters, have got a really nice selection of long form uh, interviews and articles um, about the broad theme on how our vision of the future for technology and, and maybe our limited worldview for how it could be used could really be influencing and limiting its potential. And you know, there's uh, there's more themes and commentary on social media and its misuse and how the technology that we have now embraced to communicate with each other uh, is being almost dragged through the dirt and repurposed in ways which maybe it was never intended for. I hope it was never intended for at the very least, you know, providing disinformation uh, for, you know, political parties and misinformation for people who just want to share things but really don't know where it's coming from. So it's a really great read off screen number 21. You can get it at places that sell good magazines. Uh, or find it online as well. Really worth doing. Uh, it's an independent publication and I, I really hope you can support it because I like buying it and I want it to continue. This week, uh, as as I mentioned in episode 12, um, I'm thinking a lot about distraction recently um, and how I can stay undistracted by all the things that I'm doing uh, in my work. And again, I've managed to find new things to distract myself with. So, well, one of which was making video content to share to kind of put more thoughts and more content into the world so I've actually combined the two things video and podcasting into one and I'm broadcasting this on Instagram at the moment um, so that's kind of a, a little reduction in that distraction for me until I get the new website out I'm building a new website at the moment um, refocusing repurposing uh, and really defining what I want to offer to people as a designer, as a consultant, as a facilitator. So that's uh, been 
heavy on my mind at the moment and I don't want to get distracted from that anymore. So without further ado, I will bring you this cracking conversation with Jonathan. Um, we were sat in a cafe and when I sat down, the cafe was quiet. And as is the way of the world, as soon as we started talking, groups of people came in and they got pretty loud. So go with us, bear with us, and I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Jonathan Ralph. Thank you for coming and sitting down and having a chat with me. That's quite all right. Really appreciate you taking the time out. Um, so, podcaster, speaker, technologist, avid runner. Some, some of those statements may be true. <laughs> so, for people yeah. who don't know you, why don't you yeah. give us a little brief introduction to Jonathan. Brief introduction to Jonathan, right. I um, Currently, my role uh, as a work hat is uh, solutions architect at Comify. I've been with the business now 12 years, moving from development into operations and now into architecture. Um, and it's, it's fascinating from seeing things from, seeing the same company from different angles. And I think that's what's been something that maybe if you were chopping and changing a lot, you, you may not get that kind of insight. So that's, that's that work hat. Um, and then outside of work, I like, both of my parents were teachers. So therefore, some part of public speaking taps into the fact that I like sharing learning. And so public speaking and, and the, the excellent community that Nottingham's got in terms of meetups and everyone being supportive of encouraging others to share their experience means that I enjoy interacting with that out of work as well. Uh, and yeah, a, a few a few bits of running here, there and everywhere for like half marathon yesterday. Yeah. Um, How are your feet from yesterday? Uh, not too bad, thankfully, because uh, I did the Great North Run three weeks ago. As, as I joked yesterday to my wife that that was the training run for, for, for the Robin Hood half marathon, which you don't do a half marathon to do a half marathon. But yeah, it did help. It was good, apart from the, the rain. But Seasonal. Seasonal. Seasonal, yes, we are definitely now in autumn. Yes, very much so. What was your time yesterday? Uh, 2.49.57. Um, very muddy end, which was a bit slippery. They had tried to put straw down to try and help, so it was a little bit like an, it's a knockout course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was. It, it's quite tight in places, so yeah. it's not the course to necessarily set a personal best line. But it's the first time I've done it, so I was really, really pleased. But it's great to meet back up with you because I mean we've worked together in the past. We have once upon a time. Once upon a eons ago, yeah, we, we've had the uh, similar workplace experiences. Indeed, indeed. We've run podcasts. We have. We did book club pods? Was it? That was great. That's 18 months ago, it at least. Fit, it's, it's a long time ago, but that was such that was such great fun. Because in the similar way that I mean, I mean, thank you for the invite to come and talk to you today. Because just chatting with you about um, topics from a high level, just it just it's great to to allow things to settle in your brain. Mm. And I think that some some aspects of when you when you reached out and talked about creativity, I think that element of taking time for allowing things to permeate through your brain is something that in this fast-paced world where everyone assumes that you have to fit a task into every five minutes of an hour, you can't force creativity. And in many ways, you need to almost schedule in downtime, or at least off-topic, off-task off time, 
to allow your brain to continue to wire those connections and make the shower moments, you know, those shower thought moments where you go, oh yeah, those, that's the solution to that problem, or I've now seen it from another angle. So the thing for me about moving into, into architecture and sort of more big picture design, yeah. quote unquote, yeah. which is kind of you know, software design, is that you start to see recurring patterns or themes or approaches, but only if you take your nose away from the grindstone. Do you find working in the corporate, big air quotes, corporate world, um, you're afforded that opportunity? Because, you know, you're working, I guess you're working in a capital A agile environment, mm -hmm. so you do have a cadence to your work and yep. everything. So when you're thinking about the structures and the solutions and the patterns you need to solve a particular problem, can you step back? It's hard. I think if you've got a, if you've got a quantity of reactive work, then the ability to be proactive on how to avoid repeating patterns, um, to spot that big picture stuff is harder. Mm. I think blocking out time in your own diary, protect, being protective of yourself, um, because far too often calendars in corporate environments are used as almost um, other people own them rather than you. Yeah. Oh, I spotted half an hour in your morning, I've just booked an appointment without necessarily asking. You know, there's, there's even sometimes um, that lack of, you know, sort of pre-warning that something your, your your thought process may get interrupted by a meeting that you weren't expecting. So, pre-blocking, if you want two hours to think about and, and work on a problem and go somewhere else and, and think it, I'm I'm now increasingly blocking out my time in my own calendar and saying, right, that's my hour for lunch, that's my two hours morning thought time for that for that project, because that way you. You're respecting your own priorities rather than just allowing other people's um, own objectives to, to drive your workday. So, yeah, it, it's it's a challenge because if you are you're wanting to to serve your customer um, internally, but at the same point you're being you have longer term objectives that may need some time week on week rather than every five minutes to, to look at so yeah I mean it's, it is a challenge I think creativity the more I look at it you know for example there was there's times where I've had less on my plate and I've been able to write some thought pieces or do some whiteboard diagramming or I'm quite a visual thinker I like I like drawing problems out and I, find, I tend to find that that's easier to share with other mainly visual thinkers but I, I tend to find that I I spot patterns more every time I write something out. That's uh, really interesting. I mean, it's coming from the user experience mm. world when there are ways to solve a particular problem, I guess you, are you bringing maybe those kind of thought processes to solve multiple problems at once? I think there have been opportunities where I've been able to join two problems together and see a common solution. Um, I, I'm no user experience uh, in, that, in the sense of formal workshops or, or ways to break problems down that, that you, you seem to bring to problem thinking that, you know, I've not necessarily been trained in that. But I think for me, the, if you give yourself the breathing space, there is more chance of you spotting commonality between problems. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, yeah, as you say, taking that step back 
yeah. removing, and I think removing your nose from the grind, even when people are nagging at your diary or requiring your time to do X, Y, and Z because work, because the hours on the clock say you must be there to do the things, right? One of the things I've found over the last couple of years that I've fallen back in love with the pen. Interesting. And it's even to the point where my work laptop has got a stylus on it. And what I found is that even though it's a two-in-one laptop that I can break, break the screen apart into a tablet. Oh, cool. And what's curious about that is that it means that, apart from the fact that people think you've just broken your laptop, which is hilarious, um, I've ended up putting it flat on my desk as a writing surface. I don't have a graphics tablet separate to that. But what I found myself doing is writing a daily log or notes using the stylus rather than the keyboard because there's something I don't know if you find this, but there's something about slowing your brain down and having to write those thoughts out through a pen that almost solidifies and, and forces me to think about what I'm writing out. And in the same way that when I'm reading books, I will make handwritten notes of passages that meant something to me, because again, I'm having to force that thought out of my head through my hand, and I find that somehow that honouring that thought in that way somehow makes it stick more prevalently in my head than if I'd just used a keyboard or just not bothered to actually type it down when I had that thought. And so increasingly I'm finding the pen something that grounds me more to take the time to say, no, this is worth writing down or I need to collect my thoughts and I will try and summarise it. Even if that narrative that I've just written ends up getting thrown away, it still allowed me to marshal my thoughts into some sort of line to f on, onto the page. Yeah, do you think it's the act of actually, as you say, slowing down that allows you maybe to take ownership of the thought process? Yeah, I think so, because if you think about the, the speed of access to digital information, the fact that you can distract yourself with 30 tabs of, in a web browser of, of sources of, of information um, means that you've got access to a lot of inputs but that slowing down of the thoughts through a pen to a slower output device quote unquote um, seems to help rather than you just snipping things into your clipboard dumping them in a digital document it's not got the same owner, you know you've not taken the same honor of building that if you're just copying and pasting quotes i don't think i like that I like that thought of uh, honouring the thought yeah. and, as I say, allowing it to, to grow as you are creating it. I mean, I'm in a similar kind of place, so that I, I'm not a fan of all the digital distraction and the, the digital note-taking as much anymore. I mean, how often do you end up diving back into the uh, archives of digital notes and digital clipboards? Do you, do you ever? I, I do sometimes. I think the benefit, the slight benefit of digital note taking is the ability to search. And where handwriting recognition is getting better, and I don't have the greatest handwriting, probably because I've used a keyboard for 20 years, and therefore the art of handwriting is something that is at risk if you're just a digital you know, keyboard player. But I, I did for, for a while. I did have a, I got a pad of A3 paper that I'd found next to a printer that was rarely used. And even the, the size of an A3 sheet to, to put my thoughts on was great, but they ended up sitting in a drawer. 
And yes, I could say to people, oh yes, I've probably got some something there, but the ability to then share that was then restricted by it being a physical piece of paper and the risk, of course, that that bit of paper gets lost or just damaged in some way with a coffee incident. Uh, We've all been there. So, We've all been so there. in that sense, the the fact that I could, you know, I've been making use of either Evernote or Office Lens as technologies to just capture paper drawings that I have done, and then at least they're stored digitally. How do you um, maybe introduce that level of, of slowing down to other people? Because obviously, I know, you know, we've we've worked in this in. Mm. Uh, an iteration of the office which you you go to every day um, and it's quite fast paced mm. I mean how do you how do you encourage other people to take take a step and give themselves time to think about something rather than firing off quick thoughts and, and having that as a solution it's something now that you've just phrased that question in that way it's something that feels similar to what we talk about when we're encouraging people to do public speaking. And that is, if you, if the task you're passing to somebody is a binary, has a binary output, or has something that doesn't allow creativity in what you're asking for, you're not asking necessarily for the, their personal input. Whereas when we're talking public speaking, we often say to people, your experience, your feelings are important. And in many ways, if we, if we were to more say to people, can you, it's almost like going back to maths homework and saying, can you show how you got to that answer? In many ways, even, even if we just slowed it down by saying, can you at least describe how you felt about the sources that you were reading, how you, how you arrived at this answer? allows them to deliver a narrative that may indicate the thought processes that got them to the, the binary answer. And so in many ways, I think inviting people to share their experience, be that a show and tell internally, be that a document that doesn't say, I, just, I don't want the single line recommendation, I'd like to understand a little bit more about how you got there, or at least the opportunity to sit and work with them to understand that. I think, for me, I mean, as a, as a teenager, I used to write a journal every night. I've started, I tried to do that again myself, um, and I'm a bit intermittent, but if we're saying how can we inspire others to do slower thinking, I think we have to be interested in the process. If we're just interested in the output, we're not gonna know, they're not gonna know that they can slow the, the decision or the, the research or the whatever down. And if we're just wanting that quick, five second soundbite so we can move on to the next thing without really giving it any time to respect the work that's been done on that then in many ways we're we're belittling any input that the person's giving we often hear careers that are going to be replaced by robots as a thing that's knocked around and if we're not delivering deeper thinking as part of the task and acknowledging that in others, then we're not going to encourage people to do deeper thinking. Absolutely. Thinking along the path of speaking um, and this telling, uh, telling of a narrative, bringing your experience and feelings, I really like the way that you phrased that, that it's not just sharing thoughts, it's sharing feelings. Um, Obviously, you've done it for yourself. You've talked about your experiences. I mean, what sort of things do you think about? Uh, think about? 
what sort of things do you speak on when you when you do speak? There tend to be technical subjects, although both of those, that I, the, the two most popular ones that I get asked to do are both um, ones about uh, mining metrics from logs, which is a, just about a technical aspect of how we could find value in a sea of data. And the second one is more about DevOps and, and the, the working processes involved and um, what I believe the call to action should be. Both of those talks risk, because they are technical talks, of having people that say, no, I don't agree because, and, and it becomes more of a fact-based argument. As soon as you bring to public speaking that this is how I feel it should be, this is my interpretation of it, nobody can argue with that because that's your, life, just your experience of, of it. And so even technical subjects, if you approach it as how you as a human found learning this subject, you are bringing value because you're being honest about the process that you went through to get to the experience that you've got today. And if somebody decides to, to call you on it, you can be honest and say, well, I didn't find that, or I don't know about that because I didn't experience it. And there's no imposter syndrome necessarily because you're just being honest. You're saying, this is me, this is what I experienced, this is how I felt from doing this. And so even though my, some of my, certainly the DevOps talk is, is very high level, 30,000 foot glide across the subject, it doesn't really matter because part of that conversation that it starts is inviting people to share their experience from a similar level without getting bogged down into the detail and the minutiae of, of what could be, a, well, I didn't do, I didn't use that one tool because I found, you know, it's like, that, that's less important. If you're looking at, like we were saying earlier about taking a step back and I've still got to read Simon um, Sinek's Start With Why book, which is on my list. Because again, repeatedly, I find that the biggest thing that's wrong with tasks is that they are not explained in the, they don't explain why they're wanting the task to be done. There's often a, there's often a joke about Kanban style boards with cards on them that should be user stories that say, as a developer, I assume that because 90% of the time there is no justification on that card of why it's there and no customer measurable value that's being described on the card that's saying I'm expecting a 5% upturn in sales, I'm expecting users to interact with this feature more. It's very rare that those cards are written like that. It tends to be well-intentioned people assuming that this will add value with no demonstrable value or measurement indicated on the, on the card. So, you know, even there, are, there is a power of taking a step back and saying, why? Why am I doing this? What? Um, I'm trying to remember the, his, the name, but there's an impact mapping book that I love, very small book. And again, that's starting with, this is the goal we're trying to aim for. The beauty of that is that if you said, my goal is to drive from Nottingham to Glasgow, how you get to Glasgow is less relevant than getting to Glasgow. Whereas we always look at roadmaps as prescriptive, like I have decided you're going to use the M6. Well, no, I just want to get to Glasgow. If the team going from Nottingham to Glasgow finds that that route is blocked, they'll just go around it. 
And so often tasks are prescriptively, somebody's drawn a map for you and you must follow it from A to B. Whereas in instead, if we started with Y and we said, get me to this position, there might be a shortcut. That's it. Do you think that's where uh, kind of, uh, the breadth of experience people have from different roles and uh, careers and communities, that's where the, the, the benefit comes to achieving this planning rather than following the plan? Yeah. I think, I think very often we don't include a broader experience pool, be that diversity, be that even more departments than, than the one working on the story. Because those inputs and you know, that, that attitude of there's no such thing as a stupid question should be embraced because you want people to kick the tires of what you're proposing so that you can say, well, is this fit for purpose? Um, that in itself is quite an interesting one about there being no stupid questions. I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that we can reframe it to be that there are no stupid questions as long as they're relevant. That's a fair point. Yeah. Um, What's the price any, of carrots today is not going to get you to your goal. Exactly. So is any, anyone is entitled to ask a question about, about anything, um, but it has to show relevance to the subject. That's, that's a good caveat. Which is, which is why you know, your experience as a speaker uh, and the experiences you share can both be challenged and not challenged because the thing that someone needs to raise to you needs to be a relevant point based on your experience, maybe not about the prescriptive facts in the world in which you're working. Yep, that's a fair observation. And I like that adjustment to that, that statement. So that's, yeah, that's a good Yeah, so I'm sure I read it somewhere and I'm hoping I've not just pulled it out of thin air. If I have, I'm gonna own it. Tick. I'm gonna have that one. So yeah, the two books I've read re recently that are in this idea is the, the Deep Work book. That the Cal Newport. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. And The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Both are interesting because they're about, um, well certainly the Deep Work book um, is about being protective and almost stealing your own time to say, I cannot live in the shallows of clickbait emails and answering everybody else's problems every five minutes via instant messenger if I'm going to concentrate and look at the bigger picture stuff that I need to solve. And in many ways, the, the art of being busy can sometimes hide the fact that you're not delivering value, really. You, you could train a graduate to look at your emails. You could, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that you're less adding value on. And in many ways, the, the longer that you, you stay in a problem domain, the more experience you get, the more you want to leverage that experience and not just get dragged down to the, the, you don't the boring want to be task. Floating on the say, floating on the surface of all the the day-to-day -day in and out of an office and the you know, personal yeah. dilemmas people may be facing, and it's good to be present in that stuff, but to the same degree. It's interesting what we were talking before we started about the quantity of hours that you are able to do. Mm intense thinking at and it's it's not the idea that you could do that for eight hours a day is is impossible um, not without years worth of training and experience but 
therefore it does it does reflect slightly that an awful lot of office work is shallow not because you're choosing to but sometimes because you're distracted by that environment but it's also because a lot of interpersonal relationship sort of corridor conversations are shallow work it's just it's it's important because you're building relationships but it's also a distraction from you sitting in a quiet space looking at post-it notes and sharpies and, yeah. and trying to figure out what you're trying to do or even just staring out of a window yeah because as he says those uh, the corridor conversations I mean, there's a part in the deep workbook actually um, about the which building is it can you remember i'm gonna say 57 but it's not it's that it's that famed mit building it is the famed MIT building. and the corridors were made purposefully so that people could walk but they could still engage in the passing conversations to almost pull themselves out of that space i found that fascinating because it, it felt like the author was saying everyone talks intensely about that office and yet when you look at the architecture Everybody still had their own lab. They were still individuals, departments. They weren't in a massive 2,000-person open-plan office like Facebook that they also talk about in that book. So in many ways, it was the, it was the communal spaces that forced the cross-collaboration, not the individual isolated work areas. And I found that fascinating because it, it felt like you know, there's often stories about how you're 60% less efficient by being in an open plan space. I mean, even recording in a noisy coffee shop. I know. You, you kind of, your, your brain will always be listening out for your name. You cannot help processing audio at some level. It's when you can't, you just can't turn it off, no. can you? Do you have a ridiculous question, but do you have a door? And you're no. where, where you are, are you still, still in the open plan? Still in the open plan office. And, and there's many times that I just, my, I, I spot face, you know, sort of Facebook ads or, or targeted ads where they go, um, treat your employees to noise cancelling headphones. It's like, or just build some walls. Yeah. Why do you think the, uh, maybe there's a stigma around the wall? How do you, how do you think that kind of, uh, the closed off, I appreciate a wall, I appreciate a door very much. I mean, working for myself in my home space, mm -hmm. having occasionally somewhere I can shut a door is really useful to me. I mean, from that office perspective uh, and that collaborative team perspective, how do you think that stigma of working in a walled environment maybe affects the creativity of a team or, or the collaboration? I think when we look at the the argument of the power of connection where if you've got a team of three you've, you, you've only got three sides of a triangle to maintain relationships on as soon as your team grows beyond three the number of nodes uh, lines between nodes increases dramatically that if if a small number of people are in a closed space they can still collaborate as soon as you try to fit five ten people you've not really made it much different than an open plan office so I think we're back to that idea of, we're st I'm not singling out any one company, it's just a general thing that, that one of those two books, and I'm trying to remember which one it was, talks about the fact that we're still in the case of managing things like the Industrial Revolution. That people being visible and working is more important than the value that they're adding to the task. If somebody had a closed office 
and was producing value at a faster cadence, then that value should be the thing that's rewarded more than I can see Brian in the corner with his coffee mug. He must be working hard. So I think, and, and in many ways, I think one of the one of the real benefits of, of global. I mean, I, I'm really lucky to work with some amazing people around the globe. And the one thing about an increasing global family is that we are embracing remote working because of that. And the beauty of that is that we know that if they're out of sight, they're not not working. And so that cultural shift as we grow tends to chip away at that old Victorian attitude. Not that it was necessarily present at my place, but the, the fact is that if you're working from home, if you're working in a coffee shop, if you're working in a, one of our offices in Italy, you're still delivering value. And I think that's the thing we've got to get back to. There's this idea that one of Richard Branson's Virgin companies talks of, if you've completed your objectives for the year, you can have the rest of the year off. Now, that's probably exaggerated for the article that's been written. The idea was, if you reach your value-driven objectives, then you can have tomorrow off or Thursday. You know, it's, it's, it's back to start to manage people based on the output that you want, not the fact that they need to be bum on seat for eight hours a day. I think it immediately gives their, um, it gives their experience more value over the skills on paper, doesn't it? Yeah. But you'll know that you can't schedule creativity. You cannot by any stretch say I am going to have my best ideas between 8 and 2 today yep you know uh, I'm as you are kind of very protective over my diary uh, I use a system called Calendly that okay. you booked you yeah. used it you booked in with with this today using that um, and it's a live sync to my to my diary but I say to people you can have any time that's available as long as it's not my time because you know those you want to give yourself the best opportunity to be creative even if you don't have those you know hard won experience you know uh, driven thoughts you want to give yourself the best possible chance to do that um, and I guess uh, yeah having the having the multiple lines between the multiple nodes and the you know all the people wanting to do things all the time with you kind of reduces that. I mean, Deep Work talks about the extreme where you get people who will take themselves off the lakeside retreats yeah. for, like, Bill Gates has his biannual thinking time where nobody contacts him. Yeah. Um, but clearly the book also says that's not practical and there's an awful lot of businesses that wouldn't tolerate you disappearing off for a month to do that. So, but even so, I, I mean, I found that now in Google Calendar, which we get use of through G Suite, there is the ability for appointment slots. Similar idea. So I can, in my diary, I can say, if you want half an hour with me, here's a constant, and you can book yourself in. And I've, I've, I've yet to find much engagement with that, but the idea is that I can say, right, well, start the day before I get to a, a block, have some time with me. The, the, the risk with that is still, Tuesday, you might have a two-hour block for doing deep work, but you might just not 
be in the right frame of mind for it. Didn't, as I said earlier, you can't schedule it always. No, you can't. I mean, just, just to step back to what you said there about um, the appointment slots mm. not being uh, a bit reduced engagement with that. Yes. Why do you think that is? I think when everybody is still in the mindset of being busy and on task, I think the idea of taking time themselves to step back and having a water cooler conversation is is difficult to, to change into people. I think if you were to go to them and say, I want half an hour with you to pick your brains, they would make the time for you. Flip that around and say, I'm here for you if you need me. Yeah. The urgency of the, of the request goes down. Yeah. Yeah. But because it, it forces them to think. But look, it I makes mean, them slow down. Look at how many times that if you've had a problem with a computer or anything, and just the simple act of saying to somebody, right, I went through this process and I clicked here, and then suddenly you go, oh, it's working now. And because sometimes the, the act of slowing yourself down and explaining to another human what you're going through, your brain, in the same way that I was talking earlier about writing with a pen, your brain marshalling your thoughts through your voice or the pen forces you to rethink what you were doing and not just running at it with the assumption that you made, made the mistake before. So taking time out, even if the person is not necessarily working on the same project as you, to just say, well, this is what I'm doing at the moment, sometimes forces your brain to make the connections where it wasn't there before. So that's why I still think that trying to schedule time to talk to people is important. You shouldn't just be a lone wolf stuck with your burden yourself. Yeah. No person is an island, right? Yeah. Well, at least that's the hope, is that no person should be. Because one of the interesting things that I learned, I was at the DevOps Days conference uh, Thursday, Friday last week in London. Um, and one of the bits of insight that a presentation about toxic work environments was sharing was that even under extreme stress, if you are in a mindset assisting others with the situation that you're in. The act of giving massively reduces the stress that you're internalizing. So if you're having a shared experience of a bad project or a bad time, the act of just saying, I'm here for you if you need me, or can I help you with that? Because you're being assisted in that situation, the science has shown now that that will massively reduce the impact that's having on you because you're, you're, you're almost being honest with yourself of saying, we're in this together, I'm, I'm here to be, it's not just I'm feeling this myself, I, I want you to, I want to help you, but that act of just even opening yourself up to others in that situation. It's a big step towards like excellence in leadership. Uh, as soon as you remove that focus from yourself. Uh, I think that's probably a conversation for, uh, for another day. Massively. That's, that's a, another rabbit hole. That's, that's a down. huge one. But yeah, I think, I think the idea that the more deep work that we do has to be, has to, you have to nurture that, what, whatever suits your personality, you need to be protective of that time to take a step back and breathe. Otherwise, it's just you're just going to end up churning the handle and getting the same sort of things out. But the exciting connections that your brain can make tend to only happen when you give yourself a break and stare out the window, read a book, have a cup of coffee, I think. And on that note, I think that draws a really good uh, underline on this 
thrilling conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much for taking the time out, Jonathan. I really appreciate it. That was a great interview. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation that uh, Jonathan and I had there. Um, if you've got any thoughts on any of the, the topics that we talked about, um, or you feel like you want to sit down and have a conversation with me at some point, we don't have to be in person, we can do it uh, online, we can do it by the medium of Skype or one of these other tools, I'd be really pleased to talk to you. Um, because I think that everyone has a story to tell and I think that everyone can have a view on good work and what creativity is in their work. So thank you Jonathan for sitting down with me this week. As always, you can find me online, Tom Jepson Creative on Instagram, at the Pixel Grid on Twitter and TomJepsonCreative.work on the web. Uh, the Patreon account is still live, it's still going. We've had a sponsor last week, we had a patron um, who I mentioned last week. Um, so if you would like to be a patron for the podcast, help pay for some hosting or just buy me some cups of coffee while I'm sat down with people having a chat, that'd be really, really good. It's patreon.com forward slash Tom Jepson Creative. Thank you again for listening and I'll see you in episode 14. Thank you.